Before I bring this little small message to you, I'd just like to share a few things with you. To me, this is a, a wonderful opportunity and it's most certainly a blessing from the Lord. Uh, not that it's anything to brag about, but Patrick, Yolanda, and myself, uh, we most certainly thank God because God delivered us from prison, from drugs, and from alcohol. And you know, once you get sober, you'd be surprised at the talents that you have. I thank God that he's given me a new lease on life. And finally, let me stop acting like an idiot, and like I was the world's greatest fool. This year, I'll be celebrating 11 years of sobriety. All the drug programs that I attended in the past did nothing for me, only made me more slick and more bitter. But you know, God has a way. And once he comes into your life, nothing can be the same. Everything is different. All of a sudden, you find out that, you know, after all, I am worth something because God didn't make any trash. Man make, make trash out of his life, but God has never made trash. Then all of a sudden, you begin to realize that you do want to live and that you're not a pincushion or a porcupine and sticking needles all in your arms and in your head and everywhere you can find a spot. Realizing that God fills that gap, for whatever it may be, for whatever it may be, God fills it. And all of a sudden, it becomes ironic of how the Lord begins to use you. All the years, and, and like I say, this is not a brag, this is stupid, because anybody who, who's so crazy that they allow themselves to be placed in penal institutions, they need their heads examined to find out exactly what's up their ticket, if anything. And after spending years and years uh, in and out of the penitentiary and so forth, God sort of makes it humorous because now I do go into the prison, but I do come out. Believe me, I make that assured before I go in there. I show the badge. I'm a chaplain. I'm just a visitor. I'm not here to do time. I want you to understand that and don't get funny because if you're going to get funny, I'm not going too far in. And God has a way that he does that. Because you see, when he sends us back in to administer the needs of those, and then sometimes there's that glimmer of hope. There's that small glimmer that someone's sitting there who's really reaching out to Christ because, you know, the first thing you ask for when you're incarcerated, you always ask to see the chaplain and you ask for a Bible because God is always the way out. And you go back and you show a glimmer of hope that God can take someone who's recycled, and God is in the recycling business, whom he's recycled. And sent back in to give hope. Paul was in jail. And Paul brought hope to the prisoners. And so God did that in my life. And, and when he did that, and he made that change, I guess I was like that good Samaritan who felt like he wanted to help someone. Or was I like that person who was laying on the roadside after they had did a job on him? And they did a job on him. They beat him, robbed him, and did everything they could do to him. And nobody wanted to help him. And many times, I felt like I was laying on that roadside, crying out for help, but people don't want to get their hands dirty. Everybody else has something to do, and nobody's concerned about the next individual. Well, 11 years ago, and he's home with the Lord now, Pastor Fred Hill. Saw me laying on that road. He didn't care whether I was a black man or whether I was an addict or whatever I was. He knew that I needed help. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. 
And he reached out and helped me and brought me out here to Canyon Country. And God knows I didn't know what Canyon Country was. But I came out there, and that night, I heard a testimony from a fellow by the name of Joe Cooper. How God had delivered him from drugs. God had taken all the drugs away from him. There was no more room in his life for drugs, only for Christ. And I sat there silently snickering because I didn't believe it. What I had said in my mind was this. This is the God that's got the action. This is the God that's got the drugs. So if I become chummy-chummy with him, he'll turn me on to the action and we can run this stuff together. That was my thought. I watched him, and I watched him, and I watched him, and the more I watched him, all he did was praise God, praise God, praise God. And so one night, I, you know, I laid up there in that bed, and I said this, God. And I know you are a God. I know there's a God because, you know, my mother was a Christian, my father was an alcoholic, and between the two of them, I couldn't stand either one of them. And I said, if there is hope for me, Lord, you know, deliver me from these jobs. And I in turn, God, I in turn, and I know I'm a liar, cheating. You can't believe nothing I say. You know, you couldn't even trust me with the Ten Commandments of the Lord because I break all of them. And Lord God, you can't trust me with a prayer, prayer meeting. But God, if you hear me this time, and I know I've lied so many times, Lord, but just be a little more patient with me. If you deliver me from these drugs, Lord, my life is yours. Everything else is non-essential. Nothing means nothing but you. And that commitment that I made to God that night. Now, no, there was no miraculous thunder and I didn't shake and shiver and some voice come through here and say, my son, you're healed and all this kind of thing. No, it wasn't about all that. It was about a deep sense of security because I was withdrawing from heroin and I still felt the pain that I was withdrawing, but I felt some type of peace. And I knew that God was real from that very moment. Because then my life began to change. No, I did not walk out and start having halos over my head and praise the Lord and hello, brother. No, none of that. I still had a lot of anger and bitterness in my heart, but it was beginning to go and to go and to go because God was taking control. And I remember that commitment I had made to God. God, listen, deliver me from what man cannot do, drug programs to endure, jail cannot change me, and programs can change me. Lord, you made me. You created me. You changed me. God did it. And we have to remember that commitment. And I thank God so far, so far I say, I've kept my commitment. In the 11 years that I've served the Lord, and I haven't served him as faithfully as I should, but he seemed fit to not only license me as a minister and as a chaplain, but what I never told you was that during that time my wife came to me and I was in prison, and she said, listen, I'm tired of this. For 14 years, you've done nothing but lie, cheat, and steal. Your kids think you're on campus, but they think you're a little too old to be in college. So therefore, you know, I'll tell you what, I want my freedom. And so she left me and took my kids with her. I had two boys. God even took care of that. Today, I have 21. And that's not counting all the kids who have come through that ministry whose life the Lord has allowed me to touch. This year, thank God, seven will be graduating from high school. From Canyon High School here. Three from Sierra Vista Junior High School. 
To me, that means a lot because just a little while ago, these guys were running around the streets of Los Angeles with guns in their hands, not knowing what to do. Now they're traded the guns for Bibles. Don't worry, they're not angels, but they're not the biggest devils anymore. And I believe truly that my life has had some impact on that. And so what I did is I always read because we read the Bible every morning. And I've always thought about that commitment and the cost that it is to follow Christ. And then Luke, the ninth chapter, and at the 57th verse, says, I begin to really ponder upon this. You know, it's always been in my heart to speak for the Lord or to be a servant of the Lord or to preach his word. And I'll tell you, at first, when I was invited here almost two years ago, I was very intimidated. I said, boy, those kids will eat me up. I've got to watch every cue, every word, everything I say because they'll eat me up. But guess what? I'm not intimidated. Because I know it's not on you, it's on me. We may not do things uh, uh, maybe like you may do them here at the Master's College at the BT. Because sometimes we have to preach and give the word to the people as they understood it because Paul said that I have become all things that I may win souls with them. And sometimes we have to give it to them and the way they understand it. So, so if, I, if I say something that probably said, but this is not in here, it's the word of God, but it's just kind of out of so that people can understand. Because I have to be me. Okay, I tried once, and, and I'll say and I'll say this in all honesty and not to flatter, but Dr. John MacArthur Jr. has always been one of my favorite biblical expositors. And so one Sunday I decided about three years ago that I was going to preach one of John MacArthur's sermons. And after five minutes into the sermon, everybody was wondering what I was talking about because I was trying to use words like hermeneutics and all this kind of crap. And when they thought I was talking about, that's what I was doing. They thought I was talking about some new plane or some kind of missile or something. And apologetic to us. I said, man, what are you coming from? What are you doing? Are you going to preach? Are you going to sit up there and try to be smart? Then I had to get down to the real nitty-gritty. Now, to get down to the Word of God, I had to put it so they could be in it. So that's the way I have to do it today. So if it's not like you can understand it, I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but I got to be me. I have to be me. And I'm sorry, this coat's getting on my nerves. <laughs> like I'm saying, the cost of following Christ. It meant so much to me. And as I look here in the ninth chapter, the 57 verse, and, and you know one thing I'll tell you, my greatest hero and, and, and my role model is Christ. Because you know one thing, and when he spoke, he meant business. And whoever thinks Christ is a wimp, you better remember in the temple when he had that whip, everybody got the message. The sheep got the bad, and everybody got the moon, and the cows got the getting, and everybody got the getting because Christ was angry. Never get the Lord angry. And it says here, as they were walking along the road, the man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You ever heard that before? I've heard it so many times, so many times at the Bible Tabernacle knocking out here at the Hills Ridge. Guys come up to me and say, Chaplain, Chaplain, listen, I've given my life to Christ, and I'm going to stay here until the Lord calls me home. And all of a sudden, you see, in three or four days later, they got a green bag on their shoulder. Or is it blue? I think it's blue now. And then when they got a trash bag on their shoulder full of clothes. And I said, fine, fine. I, I, I thought you were, 
You were going to stay here knowing until the Lord called you home. And he says to me very sincerely, Chaplain, last night I had a divine revelation. As I was laying in my bed, suddenly I heard a voice. And I said, Lord, here am I. And the Lord said, listen, get you here from the land of Canyon Country and go you into Los Angeles and preach the gospel. I said, yeah, he says, well, yes, he said, and the Lord laid that on my heart. Well, that vision came in form of some kind of income tax check that he got and it meant money. You see, I shortly, a man can be praising God, but when something comes his way, money, women, whatever it is, then all of a sudden God get on the shelf, I got to go. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, you know, that's a short trip. Short commitment, no commitment that's really kept. When you make that commitment to God, you got to keep it. God gave us the commitment that he would deliver us. That he would reconcile man back into God, so he gave his very best. When he gave his son, he said it in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his only begotten son. Small print, that whosoever breathes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave a commitment, God kept it. We give commitments, but sometimes we find that the commitments distract us. The cost of following Christ is great. The cost of loving God is great because he first loved us. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. But you know one thing. If you look here, Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, listen. Man is used to the necessities of life, materialistic things. Following Christ sometimes means being homeless. Sometimes it means being without for a short period of time. We don't have much. We have to buy the I'll tell you the truth. We live on donations. So I'm closed down. But let me tell you one thing. I'm not ashamed. Look, if a good suit comes in, I'm going to get it. This is donations. In order to see the label in it. But nobody knows. Clothes doesn't make the man. It's what's in here that makes the man and the person. We don't have much, but God has always provided for us. I have 21 children. Have you ever thought about saying to a woman, and you, you kind of get to making googly eyes at each other, and you say, Listen, I want to tell you something. I got children. That's okay. I got a couple months up. I got 21. And all of a sudden, they don't call me. I'll call you. Got your phone number. It ends there. And I thank God for my 21 children. Because therefore, that commitment to God is more easy to keep. Oh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm in the market, I run into many a shopping cart looking the wrong way. Young lady comes by and sometimes all of a sudden I'm going down to this county here because I need something there and I have to understand, listen, what are you doing down here? You don't need no pamper. You ain't got no baby. Let's turn around and go to the other eye. Oh, oh, I was just looking, checking the place out. But oh no, that commitment to God means this. You gave your life to God. You keep that commitment. God makes it easier. You know, I got so nervous. That I sit up in my, my biggest bite and I have to say it is Jeopardy. When Jeopardy comes on, don't bother me. I'll tell you, I have to sit there and I call those questions out and I'm answering those answers. By the way, hey, be still. Don't you see I'm watching Jeopardy? Don't go in there and bother Pop because if it is, you'll be in Jeopardy. That's, that's what I enjoy doing now. 
laying out with a big, huge bag full of potato chips, pretzels, and 60 left and sodas, and boy, I'm in heaven. That's all it takes. So God provides for us that commitment. Don't make it shallow. Make that commitment so great. Do the very best you can for God. I thank God I got a commitment from, and he's in his audience right now, from a young man here to come out. Listen, as long as you let me come out, I'll stand there on Monday nights and I'll preach the gospel. I'll bring the Lord to these people here. He's done that. A young man had said it there not too long ago with my teenagers. And I said this, boy, they're going to eat this guy up. They're going to have him so he's going to be screaming and pulling his hair out. He's going to be hollering, now come out that room and help me. They'll eat this young college kid up here and handle my boys. And I'm sitting there waiting to run out to his rescue. And all of a sudden, here all this laughing and carrying on and say, hey, man, this guy's great. I said, well, my God, you know something? You don't have to be an ecstatic or ex whatever it is to, to serve God. All you got to be is willing. And make that commitment. That young man did a fine job. And they said to me, look, can you get him back here? He told me today that he'd be there again. Commitment. This is what I'm saying, young ladies and young gentlemen. You're going on spring break, and some of you have made commitments to go home for a change and, and visit with mothers and fathers and friends. You've made commitments. Some of you have made commitments to go boating and go, but you have made a commitment. And if you gave your life to Christ, you made a commitment. If I'm wrong, you stop me, and I'll shut up. There'll be nothing else there. If you made that commitment to God, you need to keep it. Because when you give yours to God, when you keep that commitment, God keeps his commitment to you. I have never seen a hungry day. I've never been broke since I've been serving the Lord. You know, I can always have a few jingles or a few shekels in my pocket. If you got a petty, you're not broke. You still got money. And he said, you know, these materialistic things, because I had a lot of materialistic things, and they didn't keep me satisfied. The only thing that satisfied me was the Lord. He said to another man, follow me. In other words, like he told Matthew, follow me, put that stuff down, and come on, let's get to getting here. Because what you're doing ain't about nothing anyhow. Come on and follow me. And if you notice here, but the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And then I've checked this out, and I've read, and I've checked commentaries, all kind of commentaries. And you say, you know, something, well, maybe the father, the man's father, he hadn't died yet. Because, you know, the man was going to look out after his welfare, and maybe he wanted his inheritance. But you know something? The Lord says this, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the physically, the spiritual dead bury the physical dead. You go and preach the gospel. And this is what has happened to me because since the time of some since I've been at the Bible Tabernacle, I've lost two loved ones. My aunt died and my brother was killed November a year ago. And I was not able to attend the funerals of either one because that meant I would have to fly back to Philadelphia. Number one, I didn't have the money. And number two, I had obligations. And I knew this. My aunt, she knew God and she knew the Lord as the Savior. So I'll see her when I get home. I couldn't raise the dead, so I could not raise my brother from the dead. All I could do is hope and pray that she knew Christ as the Savior. So I had to set aside those obligations. I had to set it aside because what could I do? I'm not a mortician. I'm scared of the death. I have yet to preach my first funeral, and that's the one thing I want to do because I want to know if I can sit out there and preach to the family and still sit down there and watch the body because one false movement, I'm gone. I'm out of there. Services are ended. 
And so not too long ago, last Sunday, right before I was ready to go up to preach my sermon in the tent out there, I get a phone call from Philadelphia that just rushed my sister to the hospital and discovered that she has cancer of the liver. So all of a sudden I said, well, maybe I should rush off to Philadelphia. But no, I must preach the gospel first. She knows Christ. If she goes today, tomorrow, next year, see you when I get home, sis. And that's not being honest. That means that the Lord takes care of all things. I made that commitment. I have to keep that commitment. And when you make that commitment, keep it. Commitments are made in marriage. And if commitments are kept in marriage, there'd be no room for divorce lawyers. When you say, I love and cherish and obey through health, through sickness, through death, through hard times, through all kinds of times, that means that forever and forever till we die, the death do us part. Keep that commitment. Think about the children that ain't married. Think about the vows you took before man and before God. Don't worry about the deception. That's why some of the people came anyway. Don't worry about the presence. Worry about those things that you say before the living God. This is my wife and thank God that God gave Adam Eve. Can you imagine what this life would be with a bunch of seeds and no Eve? Could you really imagine what it would be a sad place to live? One of the best things God gave to man was one man. Oh, thank God for one. Now, can you imagine what Adam did when he first saw Eve? After he finished doing hair flips and rolling up and down, he ran home and said, let me see if you're real. Can you talk? Can you move? He was happy because God kept his commitment. Boy, I can imagine. God told Steve, get lost. Eve, take over. Commitment. Be fruitful and multiply. Do this. They didn't live together in some kind of uh, agreeable relationship. They were married. God married. And God kept his commitment. No matter what it was. Today, and, and I'm not saying that sometimes people can, cannot live together, but if Christ is in your life, you can live together. You can do it. I look at those young sons of mine, some of them are dating, and every other week they got a new girlfriend. Instead of saying, hey, listen, one to one, loving and caring, caring, and they make commitments, and they only break them. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody made a commitment to that wife and that wife to that husband? There'd be no room for divorce court. There'd be no room for children who have to spend six months with the father and six months with the mother. Just think how many and how good life is in. Because God kept his commitment, let us keep out. You ladies and gentlemen are studying to be whatever it is. Some of you will be going into the work and service for the Lord. Some of you may be going into business, but whatever you may be going into, remember the commitment that you made. Become something in life. Those of you who will be serving to the Lord, you'll find that the work is great. And if you're looking for a lot of pats on the back and a lot of thank yous, forget it. But if you're looking for eternal life and glory with God, amen. That's where it comes from. And moving on, and, and I'm not a very, very long speaker, and I'm trying to figure out how to kill the rest of these 20 minutes. Because... <laughs> Believe me, I'm not. I, I, I say what I have to say, and then I got to go. Because you know, sometimes we get so long, we say, I wish that man would just shut up. <laughs> well, that's the truth. I've said it many times. 
Now reach over and nudge Patrick. Patrick, what did he say? I don't know. I was sleeping. You sleep for a while. I sleep for a while. You tell me what to say, and I'll tell you what he said. Because I believe, listen, Christ didn't have to take 20 years to preach the gospel. He said what he had to say, and that was it. Hey, listen, if you got the message, fine. Because I've never been one to go on and on and on and on and on and on and on because then sometimes I get confused and don't know what I'm talking about. And if I don't know, how you going to know? And most of you got visions of spring break dancing in your head. But I don't blame you. I need a spring break. Any kind of break. But to go on and not to stay from the study that I'm talking about commitments, don't think I forgot what I'm talking about. I got it marked right down here. It says, stick to the message. And what he said, and what he said this, he said, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God, and that's what we have to do. We can't let nothing come in our way. We really can't. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, you ever notice that little but in there? You know, I can say this, I've had a, a lot of people, you know, and, uh, I met a lot of people, and they said, listen, I will give you this, but. When somebody says but, you say, uh-oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Here comes the but. Dad, can I buy the car? I will loan it to you, but. Hey, Dad, can I have five bucks? I'll give it to you, but. Forget the but, give the bucks, and let it go on like that. That's the way you have to do it. Always that little but in there. You know, hey, listen, you're going to give it up, give it up. Lord, I buy you a butt. Okay, here it comes. I've heard this story before. Oh, but okay, what's your butt about? He says, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Probably ain't seen him in years. And I lie not because some of the people sitting here over here can tell you. A guy comes in, we get him out of the penitentiary, we get him out of Wayside, we get him out of the county jail. And oh, he's so thankful, and he's down there praying his hands all up, oh, thank you, Jesus, oh, praise the Lord, can I go see my family? But you told me you didn't have a family. Well, I didn't tell you about this family, I got a family, but you didn't know about that family. All kinds of excuses, chaplain, I got to go here, chaplain, my teeth need to pull, chaplain, my leg is broke, chaplain, I'm blind, chaplain, I've got to go. I want to serve God, but... Oh, I would, but. And every time I go to court for somebody and they stand there, and they, they, they're so humble, you ought to see them. They look like little saints. They can hardly talk or move because they're serving Jesus. Some what's your name? Oh, I don't know. I'm in prayer right now. Please don't bother me. And you get him out and say, listen, the judge says you're free. You can come on and go with me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I just must have a time of prayer. Would you excuse me, please? Stop and I just must pray. And get him out to the ranch. Oh, yes. So, well, listen, can I have a pass? Can I go see my family? Some excuse. What about God? What about those pies and those things you brought out to God? I remember many a day sitting there going before the judge. I would always say, now, Lord, you know I lied last time, but I mean it this time. Let the judge say, hey, you can go, and I'm going to stay to church. And every time he let me out, I say, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to church Sunday. Remember, there's Monday. I got one week. I'll see you on Sunday. But when he didn't, I said, there you go, Lord. See, I sat up there and prayed to you. didn't do nothing. God kept his commitment because sometimes we need to be kept down. We need to be put down in the valley. We need to be lowered so we can look up and see the living God. 
Oh, and I use this because so many times I encounter men at Wayside, and the first thing they come to me with, when they come to see me, they come like this. Yes, Pastor. I want you to know, Lord, I, I was reading all night, and I had a vision that you were coming. And I don't care whether you let me out of jail or not, I'm going to serve God. And I told him once while the program was closed, I see that, there you go, I get my life right and throw the Bible out and I said, where is the commitment? What about the commitment? You see, because with that commitment comes sometimes a lot of procrastination. Well, I'll do it tomorrow, Lord, and all this kind of kind of life. Are you spiritually committed or are you a procrastinator? I challenge you. Check yourself out. I challenge you. Come and visit us sometime. We don't bite. What they say about it is not so. We don't throw chairs at each other. When we're having services, no, we don't fight and throw song books. We ain't got but a few anyway. And we got pews so we can't throw them. And the podium is too big to throw. I challenge you. I challenge you now. If you plan on being a youth pastor, sit in a session with my boy. If you plan on preaching the gospel, come up to our tent. Some of you have been there. Some of you have heard the gospel there. And yes, we respect young ladies. They look a little hard at you. Just sometimes they don't get around much anymore. We do preach the gospel. And we do have that commitment. No, I have it. Lord, I want to go back and see my family. It was 10 years before I was allowed to go back to Philadelphia to see my family. And I put it to God in 1989 because it was 10 years that I had to leave because the contract was out on my life. And I said this, God, if it's in you for me to go, provide me with a round-trip plane ticket and money to go. Now, I'm not one of those that that lay hands and all that kind of, because I don't believe in that. Lay the money in my hand and I can take the plane. <laughs> and that's just the way it happened. I spoke at Church of the Canyon. And they said, hey, we got a little something for you. And I said, what's that, a round trip ticket to Philadelphia? And here's a little spending cash. I want to tell you the amount was that I was still out when they put this amount of salt there because I couldn't believe it. Go to Philadelphia and have a nice time. God kept his commitment because when I left Philadelphia that 1979, it was tears in my heart and fear in my heart because I thought I'd never see my family again. And God took me back and kept that commitment. And I've been saying commitment, 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 commitment because that's what we have to remember, young ladies and young gentlemen, is commitment. Your parents have sent you here because they committed to see that you get a good education, a good round Christian education. You committed your lives to the Lord, so therefore you should serve Him. Let me come slack and whatever you do. Because you see, I sit over this place and I look, and I thank God that I know that in some place there are young men and women who are giving their lives to the Lord. I don't have to worry about sending you having guns or knives or anything or asking me, can you, can you spare down when I leave? I know many of you will pray for me, but I'll tell you one thing, all of you will never forget me. You cannot hear me or see me and never forget me. I have a way of growing on people. You may see me in the market. I hope you don't have long hair because if you do, I may say miss and you may stop me and then the Lord may not bless me. See, I still have to remember this, that whatever the Lord does, I have to be committed to him. Jesus replied, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. And I believe here he's referring to 1 Kings 19, 20, and 21. When Elisha laid the mantle on Elijah and gave him that, he said, Well, Lord, as he was found, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that he who puts mother, father, sister, brother, wife, or children before me is not fit for the kingdom of God. And I like to say this, and, 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 I, and, and I'm sorry, I know you guys gave me until 1125, I've run out of words, and I'm leaving, I've said the gospel, and I said amen, that's the end. And, and, and I just want to, to say this in closing. You know, like I said, the first time I was invited here, I was very intimidated, but I was very welcome. This time, I feel even more welcome. I feel like I'm a part of this institution part of this college, because I have many friends here, Dewey Bertolini, Dr. Stead, and some others whom I know. Some of them on the faculty, and my very own son in the Lord, who came to me two years ago. When I first came, he came as a visitor. And he said, boy, he said, I still hope one day, you know, maybe I can go to that college. And he's a student here now, he's a freshman here now. Because God worked in his life because of that commitment. I have another son in the Lord who's at the College of the Canyon. So you see, God kept his commitment. I might have lost my biological children, but God has given me spiritual children. I don't have that many daughters, and I just have a couple. And the Lord has filled that gap. But when you look at yourself, remember the commitment that you made. Remember that you gave your life to the Lord, and God comes first. And in closing, I want to say this. I thank you. And may God bless you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to an old loud mouth. Thank you for accepting the gospel the way I preach it. And most of all, I want to pray for you in closing. Then I have to turn it over and I have to look because I forgot the guy's name that quick. I got it. I'll have to turn it over to Joel. But I just like the closing prayer. And you know, prayer changes things. Prayer changed my life. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the time we've had. And Lord God, it's been a wonderful time just to share the gospel among so many wonderful people. Lord God, I just pray, Father, that we remember in our hearts that we gave a commitment to you. And we need to keep it as you have kept yours with us. Father, Lord, I pray that this college may just grow and expand, Lord. And, and Father, that they may go out and preach the gospel. Father, we thank you for the leaders here. That you continue to bless them. And Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that this will not be the last time. But that I'll be able to come again. Father, thank you for this opportunity. And in all things and in all ways, Lord, I give you the praise. Most certainly the glory and the honor. And Jesus. Amen.